Welcome back to the Inspired by Show. Now, considering we're coming to the end of 2023, I thought the best way to finish off this year would be to share with you some best bits to quote unquote, wrap it up, pun intended. Welcome to Inspired by, the show that brings you inspiring stories from inspiring entrepreneurs with a twist. Now, I believe that every successful entrepreneur and celebrity on this planet has an inspiring story and they have stories that they haven't yet told. Not because they don't want to tell the story, but because they haven't been asked the right questions. So my job on the show is to ask the real questions so that you get the real answers. Now, with that in mind, let's get started. Now, we have been running the Inspired By show for over six months now. It's just blown my mind. We started recording in March and here we are now with the end of the year. We've had some incredible guests. And so what we thought we would do is share with you some of your best moments voted by you as our listeners and our viewers as to who has inspired you the most. So what I thought I would do is kick off. And by the way, these are in no particular order because, you know, that's not my choice to tell you who's going to be number one right the way down to number seven. So I thought I'd kick off with one of our first guests, in fact, he was the second guest I ever recorded in the studio and it was the incredible Ben Knight. Now, if any of you guys didn't see this episode, in this episode, Ben very openly shares how losing his dad helped him to build his business and what he learned on the journey of creating Trade Tribe. Now, one of the most fascinating parts of his interview was actually where he shared quite a controversial opinion about whether British entrepreneurs have got what it takes to be like the Gary V's and the Grant Cardone's. So check out this clip if you haven't seen it already. Now, uh, you mentioned Grant Cardone, and I want to just quickly dive into this because I've noticed a lot of people in our in all the industries, education, personal branding, speaking, podcasting, writing, a lot of it starts in the US. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed there's a lot of like people like Gary V, Grant Cardone, who are very big characters, and they have this sort of mindset of hustle, 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 get rich, wealthy, Grant with his beautiful private jets and stuff like this on all his ads not dissing it find it interesting so I'm curious what's your views on the American way versus the British way is it the same can we learn from it tell me more uh, I think we've probably got a long way to to go in the UK not in a disrespectful way but I don't know what it is I, I mean I went to university in America so oh, wow. I got like an under the cover look at like their education system and it's not great like uh, I know stereotypically that it's not the best but it actually isn't that good so when I look at how much they're doing in terms of business and stuff, that's got to come from somewhere. Like their drive is a lot more. I think we're kind of in the comfort zone in the UK, so to speak. Mm. So for them to make money, they've got to really work hard. Because, and I know the American dream and all that, but great opportunities, but they're, they're doing a lot. Now, when I compare it, like even myself to um, peers over there, you're like, you guys are actually naturally working harder than us. Mm. And it's kind of a bit of a... An interesting one. I don't know what the reason is, because I no disrespect to people in the UK. Of course, uh, I'm here. We don't. I don't know. It's easy to be lazy here. Yeah. And it's easy to get complacent. It's easy to not push yourself. Mm. And maybe it does come back to the rise of like the woo stuff mm. too, because people are like, oh, thank goodness, there's a there's a get out clause for me. I don't have to do the work today. I can just meditate on it or yeah. whatever it might be. And it's it's crazy. But over there, I think maybe they've got less of that. Who knows? Mm. But I really find a lot of inspiration from them. And yeah, all of my mentors now that I look to online are all American. The ones in person, not obviously in the UK. And there are still amazing people here, I will say. Yeah. But yeah, I really find that that drive inspirational for me. 
Yeah, love that. You're, you're right, though. And I think a lot of, if I can just be as blunt as I can, because we're both British, yeah. I think there's still a lot of the British stigma around, oh, I can't ask for that. I need to be polite. I have to wait in a queue 20 minutes instead of just asking for what I want. Whereas I find a lot of Americans, I traveled America for quite a bit of time, a lot of Americans are very out there and just ask for what they want. And I, I believe, I'm a massive believer in, if you don't ask, you don't get that. It's literally on every site I run, on all of my businesses, and the amount of my business partners that go, the people come up to us and go, you told me if you don't ask, you don't get. And my team are going, Chloe, you need to stop saying that. But I massively believe in it. And I think that's where, I think we can learn as a, as a British culture, as clients, uh, as consumers, to actually start being a little bit more boisterous and a bit more determined and go, actually, I really want this. Mm. And clearly that's what I've definitely learned from a lot of the Americans and we've definitely seen. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't really realize that that's probably what it is. But even, I think, easiest way to do it, if you look at any of their speakers, like the big speakers in the world, the American ones compared to the UK ones, all amazing at what they do. The Americans will l most likely be loud, out there, very mm -hmm. confident. And I think that does come from a young age. They can't all have just learned it for speaking. <laughs> right? And I know there's some loud English ones too. But I really like that. And that they do. They ask for what they want. They're not afraid to go for what they really believe in. Mm -hmm. And Every time I've ever put myself in that sort of energy to to really go for it, it's always worked out nicely. Mm -hmm. So I think, imagine if I did my whole life like this. And they are. So I think yeah. there's loads to learn from them for sure. Yeah. I, I do admire them. Next up, we have the one and only Tanya Grant. She's a great friend of mine and an incredible business partner. And she came on the Inspired by Show very recently and opened up about her opinions on black representation in business. In this next clip, you're going to see she shares a lot about her opinions on the BLM movement and what she found being a black woman trying to start her business and what we can learn about Black Lives Matter. Tan and I talk about this off, off all camera the, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Because yeah. if I can be vulnerable with everyone watching and listening... Until I came across people like yourself, Tan, mm -hmm. where when we met, when we created Queens in Business, without going through the whole detail story, mm -hmm. maybe that might come up, maybe it not. <laughs> oh, yeah. I approached mm -hmm. a handful of women and said, I've got this crazy idea. Do you want to come on the ride with me? And we, you all said yes. Mm -hmm. huh, you're all suckers. <laughs> Little did you know what we <laughs> were going to create. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. It was the most amazing yes I ever had. Mm -hmm. And since then, when we first did our very first event, we were all on the stage. I remember someone in the audience coming up and saying, the fact that, Chloe, you are the only white Caucasian founder of this mm -hmm. business is amazing. Mm -hmm. And up until that moment, I had never noticed. Yeah. It never mm -hmm. come. And I was like, really? And I remember looking at you all mm -hmm. along on the stage going, holy shit. <laughs> because for yeah. me, it's I've never noticed because mm -hmm. to me, we're all we're all totally unique yes. and it's not just our race or our beliefs or our religion that, that defined us. And, mm -hmm. but I think unfortunately it does still need to be said. And yeah. when, when the reason I love that we can have this conversation was I remember when Black Lives Matter was happening and I had already started building my brand, my yeah. voice. And a lot of people came to me and said, I'd love to interview you on it. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, really vulnerably. I was terrified. Yeah. Because I didn't know what to say. I didn't yeah. know what to say. I didn't know what would be acceptable. What mm -hmm. if I say the wrong thing and upset any race, yeah. let alone black, white, anyone. Yeah. Mm. And because it felt like it was uncharted territory. Yeah. And so to yeah. me, saying nothing felt safer. Yeah. And I remember speaking to you very vulnerably one night when we had, we have a lot of our weekends away and mm. over, I don't drink, but over a few drinks, we sort of said, actually, I was like, Tan, can I ask you a question? Mm. Being really vulnerable, what, like, what can I say? What's acceptable? What am I allowed to say? Because I want to talk about it. <laughs> and you remember you saying to me, silence is also saying something. You were like, 
not saying it doesn't solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I remember the very first time we were on Clubhouse together yeah. way back in those days. Yes. And mm. I remember you mentioning it and I thought, do you know what? I feel safe now I can say it because mm-hmm. I'd had almost like permission yeah. to talk yeah. about it. And that's why I find it amazing that, that we can have this conversation because I think it does need to be said. Oh my gosh, does it. it's important that we talk about it. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what the... Um, for me, obviously, it's a black, it's a, a black and white issue or whatever an issue it is. Whoever you are, you need to talk about it, right? Mm. Whatever your difference is, whatever your fight is, whatever your cause is, you need to talk about it mm. because it's important that awareness is had. Because mm. let, let's go back to Black Lives Matter, right? I think for me, maybe it was just because me being in the, in the adult life now. Mm. Obviously, that is not the first time that that kind of a situation has happened, right? It's one of a million, trillion, billion um, situations that's happening. And it's still happening today, right? For me, I always say, like, you know, the, I guess why the white hits so hard is because it was televised the way it did, it was. And the sheer directness or evilness, I'm going to call it that, because it was that, that another person felt that it was okay to just continue to do what he was doing because he felt in a place of authority to do that. How evil do you have to be to to keep doing that, you know, to take someone's life like that in any kind of respect? And um, black, white, whatever the, the situation is, right? But let's focus on, on the Black Lives Matter. And for that, when... Everything came about. I actually did one of the protests, but in a small town. So it wasn't it wasn't as huge. <laughs> I was not going to be doing the big, big, big protests. No, no. But um, I went to um, a smaller space and, and did the protest there. And it was so cool being in that. And I loved the unity that it brought. Yeah. Because it wasn't just black people just talking about it. It was white. It was Asian. It was anybody who was breathing under the sun talking about it, who had an ounce of, um, uh, what's the word, uh, morals about them, right? And who knew right from wrong. If you know right from wrong, you know what to stand up for. You know what to speak about, you know. But yeah, I agree. You don't have to like be um, trashing every Tom, Dick and Harry of a thing. There's a way to, in my opinion, a way to kind of go about it and still be heard. Yeah. Right. I don't have to shout about it, but I can do my own bit in this kind of a way. Like, for example, um, on my post, for example, I just did like a series of... Um, they were all based around obviously Black Lives Matter and reasons why. And then equally the understanding of, because I know there was this argument as well, but okay, if you're saying Black Lives Matter, well then why are you discriminating against white people? Why are you discriminating about Asian people? I was hoping that would come up here. Yes. Why are you discriminating about, what about, you know, I can then say, you know, all this kind of like, Obviously, every life matters, but you cannot say all lives matter until you include black in there. Yeah. Or until you include any other um, race in that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a case of that's what, in my head, what the campaign was about. And even I'm going to quote, as much as I said it as a campaign, it actually became a whole movement for a change rather than it being a trend. Yeah. It was a whole movement. Just a trend or a hashtag or anything. And I think one thing that I love about the when we talk about this Mm. is because it is about creating unity. Mm -hmm. And one of the things which we're massive on Queens of Business is about creating that. Now, one of the things that Mm -hmm. I always find is really important when it comes to race, religion, beliefs, a lot of people see it as 
us versus them. Yeah. And a lot of yeah. people go, oh no, it, it's not us versus them. It's us and them. Actually, it's just us. Yes. Like we're all, we're <laughs> yeah. all just people yeah. and we're all just people with our own beliefs, our own missions, our own visions. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't act like we're different because that's what branding is all about. It's about being unique and yeah. focusing on your uniqueness. It yes. doesn't have to be your yeah. skin color. It doesn't have to be your race. It doesn't have to be your beliefs. It can just be your flavor, your yeah. passion. Next up, we have an episode with someone who actually flew all the way over from Dubai to come and film in our studio in London, the one and only Spencer Lodge. Now, in Spencer's episode, he shared very openly about what he's experienced with going through his own phases of depression, running his own businesses, and actually not really caring about any of them anymore since he started really focusing on his mission to end human trafficking. Now, Spencer's Netflix documentary, The Chain, has transformed lives and it changed the way a lot of us look at human trafficking and myself included had no real idea that it was even going on in the world or had that sort of hush hush topic that you don't really know about so let's just not talk about it but in this next clip not only did Spencer inspire all of us he opened our eyes to really what's going on right under our nose go and be of service to others in some way go and volunteer at a soup kitchen for one day one afternoon it's all you need to do once. Because the moment you do that once and you see people that are in way more pain than you, that starts to make you think about how much pain you're really in. Mm. What pain are you really in here? Are we having a pity party? You know, depression's an illness, da, 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 da. Mm. But you can come out of depression with a few different tools, okay? And number one is realizing how bad your life is versus people who have got a really bad life. And that's what the, the, the journey into learning about human trafficking taught me. I met somebody and this one woman changed my life. This one woman, Maria Conciasau, literally changed everything. What she had done for these children in Bangladesh fascinated me. But until I met the girls, it was a story. And I was like, wow, wow, wow. And then she said, would you like to meet them? And I met them and I met 12 girls between the age of eight and 12 years old in a shopping mall they came up they gave me a bit of a hug and said hi and i'm like right maria let's take these kids for some ice cream shall we and she said yeah ice cream i was like yeah yeah ice cream yeah she said, they've never had ice cream sven maybe it's not the right thing to feed them right now and i was like what she said they've never had ice cream and just as you pull that face that was my face so we then went and we took them to the fun fair They'd never been to a fun fair. We took them on the fun fair in the, in the shopping mall, in the top of the shopping mall, and the rides they went on, and their faces were beaming, and I got on some of the rides with them because they were scared to get on them, and none of them were scary, but they were scared to get on them. And we did these rides together, and they were in these machines where you play the games and you're collecting these tokens coming out, these tickets coming out. You want to see their faces. Oh, my God, this, this machine gives me things, things. This, this. And they're like, and then they're all crowding around. It's like, oh, what do I, you can swap this for one suite. You know, it didn't matter, you know, uh, that. That fascinated me. Um, then I messaged, I put a post out on Instagram while I was in the shopping mall saying, is anybody free for the next two hours? I've got these kids, I need someone to help me. Okay, and one guy I know who, who is, a, is, is the owner of a real estate brokerage in Dubai, his name is Loai, a company's called Provident, uh, Provident Real Estate. He messaged me, he said, what do you need? I said, I need two hours. I'm really sorry to trouble you. you know, don't worry if you can't do it. He said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And he dropped everything and he came. And I introduced Loai to these kids and he was just beautiful with them. It was just, it was, it was, it was remarkable watching his interactions with them. And then we went to the, 
the uh, the supermarket, the the Carrefour, and um, we got four trolleys, and Loe got two, and I got two, and we said to Maria, "What do these kids need?" And she said, "They need everything." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" She said, "They need everything." I'm like, "What's that mean?" She said, "Everything." And so we went, and and I said to the girls, "Right, get some sneakers, get some pajamas, get some underwear, you know, you know whatever." Um, girl products, you know, sanitary mm-hmm. towels, that kind of stuff. And, and then I saw them hanging around the hair clips. I was just hanging around these hair clips. And then hair clips with butterflies on and cherries on, little hair clips. And they were just staring at them and staring at them. I'm like, do you want, hair, do you want, the, do you want the hair clips? And they're like, can we have it? I'm like, get the hair clips for goodness sake. Of course you can have them. And we had this experience just buying them everything they needed in in this in this store. And we went to pay. And as we went to pay, Loai's like, I'm paying. And I'm like, no, I'm paying. He's like, no, no, no I'm paying. He said, you brought me so much joy today, Spencer. At least let me do this. And um, it um, it really moved me. And and then from that moment onwards, I just, I had a mission to, to want to try and let them experience less suffering. Mm-hmm. Let them, let them be in less pain than they'd been you know these girls in Bangladesh when they're 12 years old and they have the first period they can be married to men that are 30 years old and they have no choice they live in the slums they have no choice um and I don't want that I want them to have a future and the small part I've played in their lives they don't realize the massive part they played in mine and we're still very close now and we see them you know because whenever I see them they're 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 like the single best antidepressant uh whatever the pills were in the 60s the uppers and downers let's say the upper they're an upper for me mm-hmm. i see them and i have my lunch with them or my dinner with them whenever i see them we go to a little cafe whatever they want and it's like an injection that goes in mm-hmm. and gives me this boost of gratitude and it taught me i always thought gratitude was woo woo Mm, yeah okay and and i and i don't like woo woo. i hate all the woo woo nonsense though i hate the woo woo bullshit i hate i hate the lgbtq bullshit and nonsense i hate all this this non-binary bollocks it's just that i hate all that crap okay I, I care about is real and and so i learned that they allowed me to experience gratitude mm. and so then i learned that i had to focus on gratitude to heal and by remembering that I was grateful, it reminded me not to focus on why I wasn't. Mm. And that was just my way of managing that process. Wow. Now, a lot of people have massively eye-opening experiences like the Spencer, but not everyone goes on to make it their life mission. I, I, I know those people have done volunteering and they have a great two weeks volunteering and then they come back to the real world. How did you feel going back to your real world after that experience? My real world was dark. So go, my real world compared to their, theirs was joy. So they, they'd been in pain, suffering, but they, they, they smiled. There was joy. Mine was dark. So going back to my real world was actually, that was more worrying. And if you bear in mind the levels of, of financial difference here, you have kids from the slums that have nothing. And I mean nothing apart from the bodies they stand in. And you have me that has this wealth. Yet I was the poorest Mm. by miles, by miles. And so I needed to be with them because they were the rich ones. I needed that to rub off on me. 
from one very raw and real truth to another. Spencer shared in that clip things that really opened my eyes and threats to ourselves that many of us aren't even aware of. And we're going to continue that theme with our next clip I'm going to share with you. One of the best bits from this season of the Inspired By Show was having the one and only Rob Moore on the show. Now, for those of you that don't know Rob, he is known as the disruptive entrepreneur. He's been in podcasting for nearly 10 years and he's someone who's personally mentored me in my business over the last few years. So when he said yes to coming on the show, it's safe to say I was quite impressed, quite surprised and also quite nervous. Yet in this clip, Rob, for someone who talks a lot on social media and shares a lot about his opinions, he's not one to share much of his personal life. But when Rob came on the show, I did give him a heads up that this is called the Inspired by Show, which means you have to share a little bit of your raw and real behind the scenes life from not just your business. And so Rob opened up on the show about what his biggest fear is at the moment in his multi-million pound business and what he's most afraid of with growing and getting even more wealth. What what would you say has been the most discomfort you've experienced in growing your brands, growing your businesses? Um, I mean, initially, the, the haters can get you down. Mm. I'll tell you the type of hater that I, that I struggle the most with. Mm-hmm. It's not the critic, because you can learn from them. It's not a hater, because, you know... you. Most of them are just unhappy people. It's not the wanker, because a wanker will always be a wanker. It's the, um, the ones that go for your business. You know, defamation, mm. libel. Mm. That gets me, because I take my business really seriously. I don't want my business to be damaged. And often it happens on the weekend when they drink and get pissed over the weekend. Sunday nights is fucking classic for it. Mm. I bet if you looked at any of your one-star reviews, and hopefully you've got a few, you need a few. If you don't have a few, you're not pushing yourself hard enough or out there enough, but I bet you a lot of them come in at 2 a.m. on Sunday night. I mean, you know, the threads used to kick off on social media at that sort of time when people have got pissed. And it felt really unfair. So, you know, that would, I guess, be my kryptonite. And I deal with that really quickly, and I think that's important. Um, can you just remind me of the question? When you've been the most sort of felt the most discomfort. Yeah. So certainly defamation and libel. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens is as you transcend each level, new level, new devil, and some other new challenge manifests. And now I'm just grateful for the new challenge because it means I'm progressing because the, there's also equal reward. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, Security is quite an issue for us at the moment. I can't wear some of my watches, they're too expensive. Um, and I know that sounds like, oh, poor Rob, but I like watches. Mm. <laughs> I, I do. Um, we've had, I've had my cars tracked by criminals and I've had sort of security issues. Um, thankfully, nothing out of the kids yet, but you know, I know people who are very um rich or have big influence you know that is the next level some of them i know have been kidnapped um or held at gun or knife point for their watch or their car um so that's the side no one wants it's not a nice side um and thankfully i'm 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 a good like maybe i need to make i think andrew tate I, i i know i think i think i know because I think he's admitted this, but not in the exact words. So I think I know what I'm about to say. 
I think there were some warnings with Andrew Tate before, you know, he got imprisoned and then it extended and extended and extended and extended. And Andrew Tate is convinced he's innocent, so let's say he is. If he is, there would have been multiple warnings. There were multiple warnings, probably from some very powerful people which are like, shut up. And he didn't. And I'm not saying he should have or shouldn't have, but as he was getting bigger and more powerful and saying more outrageous things, and I don't mean that in right or wrong, I mean that as in, you know, polarizing and controversial, there would have been warnings there. I haven't had a warning yet, but I like to think if very fucking powerful people started warning me, okay, that's my level. Mm. And that's difficult because why would you not want to push it? Mm. Um, but I, I felt like, shit, I'm getting close to that at some point. Um, I don't want anything to happen to my family, for sure. Mm. You know? That's, I think, the, the shadow side of success, though. A lot of people will look at you and go, oh, Rob's life, you know, I'd love to have Rob's money, I'd love to see what he does. But they don't I'd see love us. to have my money, my wife's got <laughs> yeah. most of it. <laughs> yeah. But they think I want to have the cars, the watches. But yeah. what they don't see is the other side. And I recently interviewed uh, Spencer Lodge, who I, I, I know you know. Yeah. And um, he was telling us on the show that he, when he was doing his documentary, was getting like bullets in the mail and death threats for him and his family. And I just find that, you know, terrifying because when we start a business, we don't, I mean, I certainly haven't gone, that's when I'll have made it. You know, I want to have 200 million. I want to be having this fear because I, don't, I think, like you say, the level changes. But I don't know if you agree, you don't always know what the devil's going to be at that level. It's not like you go no. in with your eyes wide open. Well, yes and no. You don't know what you don't know. And if you've not been there, you don't know. Mm. But you can get mentors and speak to people who've been mm. there. And this is, you know, I'm talking about this stuff a bit ahead of time. Mm. Hopefully it doesn't happen to me, but ahead of time because I've, I've seen the clues. I haven't had any bullets in the mail and I haven't had any death threats, but I've had some pretty fucking nasty shit that's just below that. Been blackmailed, been stalked, you know, and stuff that's not great. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you, you... And... Then part of you thinks, well, let's say you become very successful and very influential and actually you're, you're campaigning well and you, maybe you are making a difference in getting taxes down and resisting a cashless society and then you're getting fucking death threats on the other side. What do you do? Stop? Uh, I don't know. And this is, this is the thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure Andrew Tate had that moment. Or the, and then he got another one and another one. And it didn't. And, and he's just bulldozed through it like a fucking rhino. And he is where he is now. I, what will I do when it's my time? I don't know. Mm. Um, I wouldn't want to be a coward, but I wouldn't want to put my family in any kind of mm. risk. Um, but the good news is you can make easy 10 million or 50 million and get nowhere near any of that. Mm. Or the worst you'll have is a few people calling you a twat online, you know, and having a few refund requests. Mm. And, a, mm. you know, we had a one-star review, someone calling us fraudsters. We're not fucking fraudsters. We've been in 17 years. Mm. You know, we've got millions in the bank. I refunded someone who put a little complaint online when it was out of terms of the refund. And he'd just been diagnosed as being ill and just changed his mind because he'd been diagnosed as being ill. It's not my fucking fault, mm. but I, I, I refunded him anyway. Did, I did what I thought was a nice thing. Um, and then someone else 
kicked off and wanted a refund and then one starred me for being a fraudster. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that, and that's the worst it'll be at 10 million or, I mean, we're at what? 23 a year, 23 million, something like that in the mm -hmm. training business. And, you know, thankfully it's not that at that point yet. But like, you know, people who get to that big level, you think how many death threats Donald Trump would have had. Mm. Um, I mean, some people, they got assassinated for being themselves, didn't they? Mm -hmm. um, not going to happen to 99.9% .9 of us and isn't necessarily something that should scare you. It's just you, you asked and I want to be honest about the answer, i.e. I could have said, um, oh, well, a couple of times, you know, sales have been low or the, the lockdown. Um, but the ones that keep me up at night are the security related ones. So from one part of wealth to the other side of wealth, Rob shared on that clip a lot about how he's experiencing wealth and what happens when you actually get a lot of it. But what if you don't and people think you do? Our next guest on the Inspired by Show was the incredible Carrie Green, founder of Female Entrepreneurs Association and TEDx speaker. She is by far one of the biggest guests that we've held on the show in terms of volume and metrics. But actually, she's someone that shared very, very transparently what happened when she was invited to Buckingham Palace to meet Prince Andrew and many other incredible people, yet deep down was feeling a bit of a fraud, having made no money in her business. And she tells us in this next clip what that felt like for her being a female in a very dominant male-dominated industry, and more importantly, how she felt with people thinking she was doing well, but actually not being able to earn a penny from her business yet. Check it out. What? Where did the passion for FEA come from? So I had the idea to create like a community of women in business. I think it was in 2008, because I, I, I'd finished university by that point and I was building this phone unlocking business and I would go on, and so basically I was living in an apartment in Birmingham and my second bedroom was my office and I lived by myself. And so there would be days when I wouldn't leave the apartment and I was just working and working and I felt really isolated. And I would go along to like networking events and it would honestly be mostly full of men in suits and it, there certainly wasn't any young people there. And so I would have like the occasional really off experience where someone would just completely disregard me. And I just remember thinking like, surely there's something for, for women. And I just wanted to create a community or get to know other people doing similar things. So we could just like get a glass of wine and sit down and just chat about our business problems. And it, it just, I just couldn't find it. And so I had the idea in 2008, but I'm, I, I remember starting a website and and then I just thought, who the heck is going to want this? And I felt like I had so much imposter syndrome around it because the phone unlocking business wasn't me. I was a reseller selling someone else's service. So it was fine to sell. It was easy to sell it. But when it came to something from my heart and soul, it was my idea. It was my thing. Like actually putting it out there was terrifying. And so I kind of would buy domain names, start websites and then do nothing. And that happened for a good few years. And like that was around the time when I just felt like I was really spiraling and I felt frustrated with myself. It was like this feeling of more was bubbling up. The idea was bubbling up and it was like, I was just constantly batting it away and like so afraid to do something with it, but it kind of kept pestering me. And this is around the time when the heart palpitation started. And I felt like my, everything was just saying, just bloody do it. Like, just stop, stop putting this off and just do it. 
And I just, yeah, I was ignoring it and ignoring it, ignoring it. And then um, in 2011, eventually I was just like, I'm going to do it. I just had this moment where I just, just like knew I had to do it. And so I came up with a different name, started a different website and just never looked back. Just, I remember that Monday sitting at my desk and just feeling like a new energy of like, I'm going to do this now. Um, so, so that's where it came from. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, it was a challenge to get out of my own way to actually get it going, which I think is the case for so many people. Oh God, yeah. I mean, there are so many people probably listening or watching this, Carrie, that are thinking, that's me. I've had that idea in my head for three years too. Or, yeah. You know, and, and you just have to go with that feeling when it feels right. What was it like for you when you then launched this feeling, this thought, this idea that you'd had for three years? What happened next? It honestly just felt really exciting. And I just started to, so I put the website together and um, for me building out the website and was kind of a process of just helping me to get clarity around like what I was doing. And then I started to network. So I joined like local networking groups and I actually found some ones that were just for women by that point, which was really nice. And um, I met some really nice people and I went on LinkedIn and I started reaching out to other women to ask if they had a business and if they had a story to share. And so I started this series on the blog called How She Did It. And it was crazy because like within a month or something, I had these stories flooding in from women all over the world. I remember this one person, she was in Hong Kong and she was sharing her story with me. I think she was called Emma. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I just met somebody in Hong Kong who's building a business and she's sharing her story with me. So I started publishing all these stories on the website. And then um, I remember starting like a little group on LinkedIn and um, just like networking, connecting with people. And then I remember whenever an opportunity came up or someone invited me along to something on LinkedIn, I always like said, yes, I just was in a phase of just, yes, I'm just going to go for it and just see what it's about. And I remember one time being invited to be a judge on a panel, um, which was so random because I was like, okay, like I am no one. Why the heck am I being a judge? And I remember going down on this panel and it was at um, like a Google workspace in London. And I met a guy who was the, you know, the head judge of the panel called um, Michael Heyman. And we like chatted and got on. And then I think I met him again um, at the next round of this competition um, that was going on. And um, he then nominated me for an award because he ran this festival called Made. And um, I won the award, which was crazy because I wasn't making any money. <laughs> and I was up on the stage with like 26 other entrepreneurs who were all doing amazing things. And I felt like such a fraud, but I won the award and I got this helicopter mentoring session with Lord Billamoria. I remember being invited to this like summit at Chatsworth House with all these amazing entrepreneurs that were like doing so well. And again, like me thinking, what am I doing here? Um, and this used to be a good story, not so much a good story anymore. Prince, um, Prince Andrew was the special guest. And um, I was at, I was sat on the table with Prince Andrew um, and he um, then asked me to, I ended up sitting next to him having 
having dinner and all I kept thinking was like you really have the queen's teeth like it was so random but it was like what the hell like a few years earlier I'd just been so stuck in my own way going in circles and then there I was sat next to Prince Andrew at Chatsworth House having dinner and it was just saying and then I got invited to Buckingham Palace to talk about entrepreneurship in the UK and I was sat around this table um with entrepreneurs like one of them I think had sold out of his business for like 800 million I still wasn't making any money at this point and so it's just was crazy just from like I felt like I finally gave myself permission to go for it and I opened myself up to the opportunities and the possibilities and I just started to make connections and and have conversations and it just led to all this cool stuff and I've I've seen that happen to so many other people I think when you've got like a an idea and you just give yourself permission and I think as well like I do think when it's like a real you know like heartfelt idea um for me it wasn't just about making money this time around for me it was about making a difference it was about really trying to figure out how I could add value and just help people and I think that was a game changer for me as well just in the sense of I think opening I really believe that when you're fully aligned you know with your you know you're fully aligned with what you're meant to be doing the universe just kind of opens up and when you say yes and you go for it like the most amazing things can open like opportunities and all sorts can just flow to you like with so much more ease and um, which is funny because in 2008 I was no 2009 I created a little challenge for myself called mission to make a million in 365 days and I wanted to um yeah make a million in a year and I documented it I set up a website and I documented the journey and it got to like day 66 and it was my last entry and it was basically me saying like this is impossible like I'm never going to do it and obviously didn't do it and it's really interesting because I realized that I think like for me when I was trying to when I was making it all about me making money and me becoming a millionaire like it was just impossible but when I switched and I focused on how can I just show up and help other people how can I show up and have valuable conversations how can I just show up as the best version of me and share my ideas in the best way like when I started to act from that place that's when things started to happen and the momentum started to build um and ultimately what led to the most success um so yeah it's been it's been such an interesting such an interesting journey and last up what a way to wrap up this year than sharing with you a good friend of mine and the person who actually was one of the inspiring drivers of me starting my first podcast was ibrahim brimer now tiny bit of backstory when we first started the Inspired by Show, one of the biggest things I was struggling with was where do I film it? What's my podcast about? And what sort of podcast do I want to run? And I was invited to be on Ibrahim's podcast. Now we sat, he interviewed me, we talked. And following that interview, he helped me share things I'd never shared before. And that's where the idea of the Inspired by Podcast actually came from. So I figured what a perfect way to wrap up this year than with a clip from his very inspiring episode. Now, Ibrahim was one of our first guests on the show and he shared very transparently and openly that he'd actually been homeless before starting his property business. Now he's known as quite a big speaker, quite a big podcaster and quite a big property portfolio, but it wasn't always the case. 
In this clip, Ibrahim shows how where he came from and literally being homeless, sleeping in his friend's garage floor to starting his own very successful property business and podcast. So enjoy this next clip and have a listen to Ibrahim's inspiring story. Ibrahim, you've talked a lot about all the different challenges and different scenarios you were in. Going back to the piece of being homeless, if we can first, you talked about the moment where it changed and something shifted, but that was two and a half years, three years of your life. What was that experience like for you? Because a lot of people crave stability, crave certainty. You know, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety, security is the foundation. So how, how did you go through those two and a half, three years? If I'm honest with you, it's, it's a really good question, by the way. No one's ever asked me that question. And it is a really good question. And I still suffer with that today. That's the truth. Because I always say to people, it doesn't matter the situation. Because of what I've been through, I always feel like I'm going to be all right. Mm. So that's the positive side of it. But on the flip side of that is understanding your emotions. And actually, like, being emotionally intelligent. Because not really caring, not having that stability, not really having family and all, like in the traditional sense, right? Having that, you know, I can speak to this person, I can do that. It allows you ultimately to detach from your emotions and detach from people as well, in a sense, right? And that's something that I'm working on now, you know, to really kind of become better at. Because I feel like, okay, it doesn't matter. And same emotions when you should be tapping and when you should be considerate of people say, actually, you know what, it doesn't matter. Like that's not really a healthy thing right? when it comes to relationships, right? So that's something I'm struggling with now. But how did I do with that at the time? Look, all of these things that I'm talking about is with, a, with hindsight. The truth is, at the time, I'm just living. It's just day to day. Right? Like, it's cool. And when you're homeless, it's not like every single day was terrible because I had friends, Right? You know, and, you know, there was times when I had a bit of money in my pocket. You know, when I'd get some drugs, sell the drugs, make some money, and I'd be cool. But in those days, it's living from day to day. So when I'm saying I'm cool, I'm cool for a few days and I'm back to the same situation again. Because what you don't have is mentorship. You don't have support. You don't have people. You don't have a goal of getting out of that situation. You just find yourself in that situation and this is just where you're at. So if you haven't got a goal of getting out of there then it's just a, it's a revolving cycle, right? You're just going through it again. So even when you have got, you know, a little bit of resources, they get depleted really quickly and then you find yourself, you know, back where you were to start with. So that's essentially what it was. It wasn't a case of processing the situation. It was just living through it, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned resources because what I often find with people, when we have got difficult situations, you know, when the shit does hit the fan, it is about being resourceful, yes. not just looking at the resources you've got. And that's similar to what you mentioned being homeless or struggling in a situation, it's about looking at, well, where are the resources and where can I find them? And, you know, doing things we don't always want to be doing, but getting the result because it's part of our survival Mm. and also the need to survive. Well, that is all that we've got time for. Oh my gosh, there were so many more best bits that we've experienced in the Inspired By Show. Our first season has been absolutely eye-opening. I don't know about you guys, but I have had so many learns, so many golden nuggets and been inspired by so many incredible people. I wish we could have summarized all of them, but to be fair, they're all on our YouTube channel and our Spotify and Apple if you want to go back for more. Now, maybe 
maybe you've been tuning into the show every single week and you're thinking, Chloe, you guys missed some. What about this person? What about this person? I would love to know, share in the comments, who has been your most inspiring guest and which part of their story has inspired you the most? If we've missed it, then share it in the comments and make sure other people remain inspired as they go through this Christmas period. Hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your Christmas festive celebrations and start the new year with a bang and I'll see you in January.